to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda, I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? Doing pretty good, actually. Tonight, we are here to do another character episode, and the focus of this character episode is Anthe. Here to help us talk about Anthe are our friends, Alan Sells from the Cool Kids Podcast. How you doing, Alan? I am doing great. Can't wait to dive into Anthe. And also, Sam Cruz, former guest of the show. But I guess both of you are former guests of the show, and I could have introduced you like that, but I didn't. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing really good. I'm seeing my waveforms on this, and it's making me ridiculously happy. So I'm in a good mood. (laughs) Sam is using Audacity for the first time. Like a real adult. Look, if you have... If you haven't recorded an album in your in your bedroom with Audacity before, then are you even living? <laughs> <laughs> so I know starting off, Alan, we talked to you previously before you finished the series, and you talked to us about how Anthe is your favorite character. And you told me in a private message that Anthe is still your favorite character, but now for a different reason. So how do you feel about Anthe now that you have finished the series? I love how complex she is, how deep her character runs, but also that there's still a lot of mystery surrounding her. And I kind of want to talk some of it out with you guys and you know, see if I'm landing where you guys land because she's so complex. There's so much to her, but I still feel this extreme connection with Anthe, even though some of the stuff that she does at the end of the series is, um, I think reprehensible might be a really good word for it. Definitely Um, a good word for it. And, um, Sam, you requested to do this episode, and so I was kind of wondering why, in particular, you wanted to do this episode about Anthe. So, I actually have a little story with this, um, because I've come to two very important realizations recently about Anthe. Okay. Um, And so first, when I was first watching, uh, the anime, this this anime that we're talking about, uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Anthe was the one person who I couldn't fully figure out. I could kind of like ID and categorize everybody else. And she was the one person who was difficult. So I found that interesting. And I really, as I got to see her more, I got to kind of create a narrative around her, which I thought was very interesting. So the two things that I realized recently um, is one that Anthe is kind of, I tend to like a certain type of character. Um, like I like Pearl from Steven Universe. I like uh, Scarlet Witch from comics and Jean Grey from comics because I have a type. But um, <laughs> uh, Jean Grey is my favorite character yeah. in all of comics. Did we just become Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. See, my type is really powerful women who men don't let do their thing. Um, uh-huh. So I realized that with Anthe, she kind of fits that trifecta of like Jean Grey and Scarlet Witch being like this really powerful person, but she fits this trifecta of being a character that I can put all of my autism spectrum stuff on, all of my not specifically gay, but in the queer spectrum stuff on, and also being basically a humanoid abomination. Um, I think we all just became best friends. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, that's like those are the types of characters I like, and I just realized she's all three. The other, oh, oh. the other big thing that I realized is um, because I know originally I was gonna do this by myself, and then I heard um, Geo and Yasha's Akio episode, and I was like, oh, I, I can't do this by myself. I'm gonna look like garbage in comparison. Oh, no, (laughs) you shouldn't compare yourself to people who have been in the fandom for 20-plus years. They have so many words to say. Oh, it's all good, but it's funny because my immediate thought was, like, I need to get someone else who else is on the show who, like, Anthe? Alan. Alan will be my prince. I was doing a very (laughs) Anthe thing of, like, I need to have at least one other person to stand behind as I do this. It's true, Alan. It was Sam's idea to have you on. Not that I, yeah. I didn't immediately leap at the chance, but when he said that, I'm very honored. When he You're said my that friend. he wasn't <laughs> sure if he could do the episode by himself, and he was like, maybe Alan would be interested. I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> I am honored to be your prince. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Before we keep going, when did we have Alan on the show? We had we had Alan on the show for a bit of a uh, non sequitur episode where we just talked about whether or not Utena was a magical girl. That was a long That's time it. ago. I knew because I I remembered, but I couldn't remember which one it was. Yep. That's it. I remember that one. Okay, keep That's going. It's okay. I'll cut that out in post. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, do we have any questions? I don't really know where to start with Anthe because there's a lot. Um. I guess yeah. one uh, one good place to start could be, Alan, how did your opinion of Anthe change over your course of watching the series? It was a bit of a, an emotional roller coaster with Anthe. Um, she went from what read to me very clearly as an abuse victim, um, someone who, I mean, literally, they spend the first however many episodes it felt like forever where every episode she got slapped in the face it's like protect anthe pretty 2K brutal forever. yeah like that's just no but i mean it's it's a good narrative well good is not you know it's a subjective word but it's a way to tell us within the narrative that this has happened before and will continue to happen but then as she as she came to know Utna, I feel like we actually got to see who Anthe was versus who the Rose Bride was. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I feel like that culminated with her on the rooftop threatening to jump. Mm-hmm. I cried like a baby, but I think that's the first time in the entire series we saw Anthe with no walls, no guard, nothing. That was her. And I think it was beautiful and painful. I think that that's also the first time that Utena, for like the first time, really sees Anthe for who she is outside of like the roles that have been constructed around them. Like she sees Anthe as like a fellow person in that moment. And that's something that she sort of struggles to do throughout the series. Like she wants to, she wants the best for Anthe. And in terms of like, keeper of the rose bride she's better than most of those other chuckle fucks but (laughs) like this was really that moment is really the first time where anthe and utina connect on a human to human level outside of the rose bride construct 
And I think my favorite example of that, and it, it may it may not be this, I would need to go back and rewatch, but it may have been the first time I noticed, but during like the ultimate destiny apocalypse sequence, there is what looked like an added little tiny bit at the end where they take hands. Oh yes, yeah. And they like hold hands with each other and it's so tender. And I'm just like, yes, this is this is the moment where they see each other. They spill their guts. Anthe apologizes for all the things that she's done. Utna apologizes for the things that she's done-ish. And it, it's such a strong moment to watch, you know, Anthe, who we've come to almost know as a doll, like just kind of this almost vacant, but definitely present, aloof figure is now a person. Yeah. And that's really powerful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's it's hard for me not to see Anthe as sort of as two pictures. Like you, you kind of said as as Rose Bride and as you know like I hate to sum her up as victim of abuse, but as Anthe herself. And mm -hmm. it's Well, being a victim of abuse is a core tenant of Anthe's character. Like, you can't really separate, like, the time that she has spent under Akio's thumb and, like, the way that her relationship with Akio has affected the entire core of her being, given that she's been doing this for, I mean, you know, thousands of years, probably. That's the implication mm -hmm. that we get, is that they've been together for, like, at least a couple thousand years at this point. And so it's sort of like you can't like p being a victim of abuse. Isn't something that Anthe would maybe necessarily claim for herself, like in, in its entirety as like a, a facet of herself, but it is a core part of her character. It's definitely, um, I was going to say, it's interesting how, Alan, you had said, like, the victim of the of abuse and brought up the, the slapping, because mm -hmm. I, it, I mean, it kind of sounds terrible, but I'm interested in her as a character as a victim of abuse, but I wasn't looking at the physical abuse. Um, I'm going to, I hope I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I want to preface that I'm not, like, a professional in this field. But um, when I look at her, it does look like she's a person who's learned how to live with an abuser. So she's very demure. She doesn't draw attention to herself. She knows what she's supposed to say. And it's just very interesting to view her as like, like a, kind of like the child of an abusive parent with her relationship with Akio. Because when I see her interact with Akio, she's very demure. She's very, um, like she does like mind reading type stuff where she tries to anticipate what he wants that he can get that done. And then the second you see her start like trying to differ from that near the end, that's when you see Akio becoming like physically aggressive. Unhinged. Yeah, unhinged and physically, like I forget exactly what it was. I wrote a note somewhere, um, but I remember I was watching an episode where she like, paused. oh, it was like one where he says, come here and she pauses for a second and then he violently grabs her. So it's like, mm -hmm. I can see like, that very much reads as someone in an abusive relationship. And I find yeah, it very I mean, interesting. Akio does sort of provide this 
pseudo parental figure for Anthe. So the comparison with an abusive parent is not really unfounded. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. And and there's a condition um, that a lot of uh, victims of childhood abuse or really abuse period. It's called learned helplessness. Yeah, it's the idea that you cannot stand up to your abuser. It's it's. I think a lot of early Anthe, we're seeing that learned helplessness. We're seeing that veneer of don't look at me, don't talk to me. If you don't notice me, I won't get hurt. And one of one of my favorite moments for Anthe is. It was after a, one of the times that she slept with Akio, just oh, um, I know. where she's at the door and she says something to the effect of, I'm going now, brother. And he just looks at her and says, why do you continue to torment me? And she smiles. It's this little half smirk and mm-hmm. then turns around and walks away. It's she's starting to gain that confidence. And I think a lot of that does have to do with Utana with the way Utna treats her more and more as a person and kind of believing, wait a minute, I can stand up to this. Yeah. Like we, uh, we sort of can see this transition in Anthe's feelings towards Akio because, like, she clearly loves her brother, and that is her primary motivator for a lot of things that she does. But it gets to a point where she clearly kind of, she clearly hates him. And, Mm -hmm. like, she's starting to sort of express that through some of her more petty actions that she takes. And that is one of them, where, like, she's clearly not giving him what he wants. And he's like, why do you torture me? And it's just sort of like, bruh, have you not been paying attention to like this whole entire time? And it becomes even more ironic when you learn about the swords. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like him saying like, why do you torture me? Is a line that he said in the past as like to control guilt over her. Cause Mm -hmm. I feel like he's like, he, um, Look, so, um, I think I had actually said on my previous um, guest spot that I was studying um, behavioral analysis, which is the study of patterns of behavior and how it develops and ends in people. Um, oh, very cool! Yeah, and uh, I got I got my I graduated and I got my certification, so yay! Nice, <laughs> woo! Yeah. Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> so, um, we learned a little bit about um, abusive relationships, and when I look at like how abusive relationships are kind of like a cycle of reward and punishment. And when I look mm-hmm. at how we inter how Akio interacts with Anthe, I do see there's like a lot of reward and then there's like a little bit of punishment to either insulting her or there'll be like those big um instances of of physical aggression or even um Tartari says like why do you torture me or I'm not the one who hurts you. It's these very much these aspects of kind of punishing any sort of moving against her, but re- but mm-hmm. like rewarding her staying close to him, even if it's a thing of belitt- belittling her while he's doing it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I know this might be slightly off topic, but did anyone else like get sick to their stomach when it was, I think it was the final car sequence where Anthe was in the passenger seat. 
Yeah. And they were driving in the end of the world. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, yeah. I didn't mm. like that. Nope. I think nope. I spent most of the last four episodes just making dismayed noises. Mm-hmm. That's about right. As you should. Mm-hmm. As anyone should, really. I will say, like, so when I... Actually, I think this is another reason why, why I really like Anti is because, for lack of a better term, I tend to not get emotionally invested in media. So when I watch it, I'm like, I can understand this is a sad moment or this is a terrible thing, but I don't feel bad about these imaginary characters. So when I look at Andy, she's very much like, I don't care what's going on, really. Um, so when I see things like that, I'm like, not feeling bad. But near the end, because I binged it, I'm just like, oh, when when um, Aki gets his face pushed in by Utena, I'm just like, good. Because <laughs> I'm annoyed with him so much. Kill him. <laughs> right. Well, the part... Really, the part that started my oh god no why oh god no why was when uh, <coughs> Nanami walked in. Oh yeah, that yeah. the sequence, yeah. just the way they animated it and they cut it and just it was gorgeous and terrifying and violating and yeah. it was like you were seeing into a secret. Right, you were with Nanami. Uh, Nanami at that moment, and it was so strong. But oh my god, after that point, I was just like, Mm-mm, nope, 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 nope. I think that episode's called Her Tragedy. Oh, uh, yeah. I was just like, uh uh-uh. uh, no, 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 no. But very apt title, but nope. Thank right. you. <laughs> so, so I actually have like a hot take on those moments because I spent the past few weeks like diving way too deep way too deep into potential motivations of Anthe because I'm very much of the camp of mm-hmm. Anthe. Did. <laughs> Anthe has never done anything wrong in her life, and I will fight for her. <laughs> mm, but I kind of view it. Yeah. Mm, I've I never betrayed anyone as, in my life. Right. Um, well, no, I guess I should say, like, no, that was bad, but I have I make excuses for her. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, that ties into a question that I have for the group, but go ahead. Okay, okay so when there are those scenes of them being walked in on, like, every single time it's Akio, I mean, because it's always, that's the other thing. This is going to be, this is going to be an Anthe episode, but it's technically also going to be an Akio episode because, You oh, can't talk um, about Anthe right. without talking about Akio. The right. topics They're, are inextricably linked, unfortunately. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make myself feel bad for saying this, but the characters are incestuous in their development. Um... But with those scenes, like, they never stop. Like, there's, like, there's, whenever the people walk in, I feel like it could be fairly easily avoided or, like, they never stop what they're doing. They kind of put on a show. So it always makes me wonder, like, how much of... I know Akio is definitely putting on a show because he thinks it's funny. Um, But I always wonder, like, how much of a role does, does Anthe play in this? Because I feel like when Nanami's there... I, my first thought was, like, cautionary tale, because I wonder, like, is Anthe warning Naname off, or is Anthe trying to continue to fuck with Naname because Anthe will take a lot of shit, but she will take none of Naname shit? <laughs> See, again, this kind of ties back into a question I'm oh, going to yeah. ask after kind of this, but in that moment, I accidentally, well, not accidentally, I had to pause um, the episode one, because I was slightly triggered, and two, uh, I, I just needed to go and take a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the screen that I paused on was of Anthe and her being naked on the couch with her hair just everywhere. It was, it like I said, absolutely gorgeous. Her eyes are vacant. Mm-hmm. No one is home. She has turned herself off. She disassociates a lot, I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. there is definitely evidence to support the idea that Anthe disassociates during her liaisons with her brother. Um, I would maybe go so far as to say that in certain instances, maybe like in the scene where Naname sees them for the first time and where Anthe or where Utena sees them for the first time, Anthe probably is kind of I don't want to say showing off because that sounds gross and it is gross, but like we have textual evidence to support this idea that Anthe feels negatively towards Naname and sort of lashes out at her in certain ways. And mm-hmm. By turning her into a cow. <laughs> Such as that, yeah. And also, like, there is this bit... Because when she... When Utena walks in on them for the first time, it's after, if I recall correctly, and I might be wrong, but if I recall correctly, it is after... Utena has her sort of her liaison of her own with Akio and Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah it it comes across as a little bit of a power play from Anthe because like the one thing that really seems to matter to Anthe is that she has like this quote-unquote power over Akio, even if technically maybe she doesn't, maybe she does. Mm -hmm. But, like, she has this special relationship with Akio that no one else can have, and that's, like, one of the core parts of her being. It's one of her core motivations is the fact that she has this relationship with Akio that no one else has, and even if Akio does stuff with other girls, it's not the same as right. Akio and Anthe. And so, like, yeah, it does sort of add this extra element of gross, but also, like, this added depth of character to Anthe when you see sort of her intentionally letting other people see what's going on. It's not that she can't hide it because she probably could she probably could do something to obscure her body or obscure what's going on but Mm -hmm. especially in the cases of when utana and naname see her in this way she is letting them see her like this because she wants them to know where they stand and where she stands even if maybe especially in the case of uh, Utena, our beloved dumbass, that may not necessarily get across. Right. Well, and I think that is really well paralleled with the conversation they have about poison. Yes. <laughs> Do you like that cookie? Do you know about this poison? Oh, don't worry, I poisoned your tea. I know. But let's be drinking tea 10 years from now. Like, that whole conversation is just thinly veiled. We know what happened to each other. We know what's going on. Huh. Where do we go from here? That's interesting because 
I guess also, like, I know when I watch this, I miss things. But, um, because I've just recently watched that, and I kind of interpreted it as, um, I feel, I feel like at that point, Anthony was trying to remove Uchina from the equation, whether it was because mm. she was getting too close to Akio or because she didn't want her to be hurt by Akio. So I kind of viewed that threat as, like, her trying to weird her out. And then Utena's like, no, I'm going to play this game. I trust you. I'll eat all these poison cookies because I trust you, Anthony. You're not getting rid of me. I can definitely see that. Yeah. So my question, oh, yeah. um, I, at the beginning of the, of the conversation, I kind of mentioned that in my head there are two distinct facets of Anthe. There is the Rose Bride and there is Himemia. How much of that do you think is magic versus agency? So how much of what she does as the Rose Bride is because of her torment, because of her curse? And how much do you think is Anthihimamia herself? I actually have an answer to this one. Ooh, I um, would love to hear it. Are you familiar with a book called House of Leaves? I have heard, I've of, heard it. of it. Um, as a side point, you should read it. I think everyone should. And I think I've read also... a little of it. I just vaguely remember it gets crazy near the end. You will also be terrified and measure all of Don't you like have to turn it upside down at some point? Yes. There's a line in there that really gets to me. It's um, Myth is the Minotaur. And there's... Dayaluski plays with the idea, like, he is constantly playing with myth and, and with association by means of, like, just straight up borrowing whole passages from books, etc. And Ikuhara does that too. And, like, there is tons of myth, of mythic and folk tale fairy tale stuff and it's, it's all over the place mm-hmm. there's tons of the suggestion of magic but the reason that myth is the minotaur is not because it is the monster but because there isn't a monster that is debatable but there isn't the monster but the fact that you think that there one is one makes it so hmm. it's sort of like i actually think most of it is magic, but i also think that mm-hmm. The magic, the 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 illusion, the power is itself a myth that the two of them have been creating for several thousand years at this point to not have to deal with the reality. Mm. Anthe, it, it is a sort of almost a sort of mythopoetic dissociation. Instead of having to deal with the reality of who she is, I mean, Akio is that Akio is Dios no longer. That Dios is essentially dead that her relationship to him is founded on broken promises and lies and all this other stuff. Instead of having to deal with this, they have created a myth, a a recycled myth that repeats over and over, perhaps, of games, of dueling and rose brides. It's all very abstract because it it means that she doesn't have to think, neither of them have to think in terms of well, what their relationship actually is to each other. It basically every character kind of does this. Yeah. Mickey doesn't think mm-hmm. in terms of he is acting out of greed. He thinks in terms of you know this high lofty ideal, the beautiful shining thing, the the numina of Anthe, the numinous Anthe, if you will. Utsuna doesn't think in terms of what she wants and what her actual desires are she doesn't confront them one way or another she 
talks about being a prince. Being a prince is very real to her, but it's also kind of code. And for mm-hmm. Anthe, the magic is real, but it's also really just an illusion. It's a way to not have to engage with things because it's not safe. It's why learned helplessness is a thing. Learned helplessness is a narrative that you tell yourself so that you don't mm-hmm. have to. Not because you're a coward, but because in a lot of situations, confronting something is it's not the right time and you're not able to. Or it could, you know, very much kill you. Exactly. And so it is a lot safer and easier to construct the narrative that that looks like logic, which is, I have been helpless, thus I am always helpless. Because I mm-hmm. have not changed. Even though we know, just from being alive, that this isn't always true at every point, it is very easy to believe that. And so, Anthe is able to use her magic, but can't seem to fix any of her situation, but that's because her magic is only good for helping the narrative along, and the narrative is her situation. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that I'll point out that I love a lot is that towards the end of the series, Akio reveals that the Duelist Arena, all of that were illusions. So then it casts dispersions on everything. Mm -hmm. Where did the Sword of Dias come from? Is that actually a magical thing? Now, obviously, at the end of the series, when you see the million swords flying in the air and, you know, the the literal coffin holding Anthe, you know... It gets muddy, Mm -hmm. but I think that is very deliberate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Confronting the the thing in of itself is always muddy, and when they finally do at the end, of course it just breaks apart, because that's a lot to engage with. That's a lot to deal with. The reality Mm -hmm. of, I've suffered for you, and it didn't fix anything. Mm Mm-hmm. How oh, I that yeah. just hit me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I feel kind of bad now. I'm sorry. I fucked myself off. Don't feel yeah. bad. That's, that's such a true. that's such a powerful point. Right. I mean, and that's kind of the through line of all of the characters. I'll say that. Um. So when I first watched this, in order to make sense of it and put the events in a context, I viewed this as a fairy tale. So I like I watch this anime and I'm like this is a fairy tale. This has the um, logic of a fairy tale. Well, and, and the anime itself encourages yeah. that interpretation. Yeah, right. almost too much sometimes. Like it's really hamfisted about making sure that you get that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I honestly I have um every while I've been watching this because I've been trying to find the moral of each of the shadow plays and I have almost all of them because <laughs> there's a fairy tale within a fairy tale. Um. But so my interpretation of this does heavily lean on the magic, but really all of the characters here have someone that they are obsessed with. That's not actually that person. It's either like an idealized version of who they think that person is or who that person used to be. Anthe has that as well. It's just the difference is that Anthe is an immortal ageless god witch um, who is going through her stuff in a different way. Um, so with her delusions become real. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of my view. And I, 
actually have um, some more thoughts when you were saying um, how much of it is agency and how much of it is magic. I think agency is the root, but I have an interpretation of how her magic works that I think my answer to that and my answer to most of the questions of is it one thing or another is yes. That's that's kind of where I land. Is that why? Porque no los dos? Why not both? Yeah. Because yes, there is a lot of learned helplessness, but there is also this very, very subtle layer of cruelty. And right. and Pan and I actually had a very interesting conversation in our private chat about the cruelty of Anthe and and what she does is so subtle and so small. But if you're looking for it, it's it's just it's right in your face, especially with Nanami, mm-hmm. you know, with with people who displease her. I think my favorite example of it is within the first couple of episodes. Um, Sayonji? It's Sayonji. Thank you. Um, I was thinking Shoji and I was like, no, that's the Bullet Warrior of Love from <laughs> uh, from Die Ranger. Um, Sayonji. When she turns to him and says uh, uh, goodbye, Seonji Senpai, not Seonji Sama, she could have just turned and walked away, but she didn't. She dug that needle of failure a little bit deeper into Seonji. Yeah. Did he deserve it? Absolutely. He is a creep and I hate him. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be. Is it still (laughs) cruel? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that was uh, a position that was outlined in the Empty Movement uh, essay, Anthe's Malice, which... Yeah, which we cannot recommend enough. Oh, it was really good. good. It was so good. If anyone is listening to this episode and is interested in Anthe in particular, I, I cannot recommend it enough because I consider it essential reading for understanding Anthe as a character. But, like... It goes through and it talks about like all these subtle ways that Anthe sort of uses her passivity to take digs at other characters. Alan mentioned a couple of those. I think that my favorite is probably one of the ones that took me longer to get, I think. And that might be why I consider it my favorite because it was one that I had to really think about. But it was in the jury episodes when uh, there's the moment where Anthe goes to give, like, the rose to jury. And, like, that really sets jury off. At first, if you're watching it, it kind of, it's a bit of a, I'm not, this isn't a pun, I swear. It's a striking moment. Mm -hmm. And Uh, it's. It's upsetting because you don't want to see Jury smacking Anthe across the face. But when you actually think about, like, the way that she is presenting the rose, the way that she is purposefully mimicking Shiori's body language, like, she is baiting Jury into doing this, and she knows what she's doing. And it's just this moment of subtle cruelty and it's one of the ways that Anthe sort of it seems like in these subtle ways Anthe is letting out some of her anger in way of passive aggression towards the rest of the cast that if you're not really paying attention you could just mistake other characters for overreacting to the way Mm -hmm. that Anthe is 
acting towards them. But it's that Seonji Sama moment that, like, if you're really paying attention, you see what she's doing. Now, one thing that I think is interesting there is there, to me, there's another side to that coin. And that is she is seeking punishment. Yeah. Because she is so tortured, she doesn't feel she can be punished enough. So I think in moments like that with Jury, you're absolutely right. It was bait. She wanted Jury to hit her. She wanted to be punished. Now, obviously, that is an extremely unhealthy mindset. But if anything we've learned about Anthe... It, it makes sense that she has that mindset given the background that she has. She did not have a stable upbringing. <laughs> well, given the information we have about Anthe as a as an abuse survivor, right. like it's not uncommon for abuse survivors to unintentionally or even perhaps intentionally seek out situations that are similar to that of abuse just because that's sort of it becomes comfortable in a way even though comfortable in scare quotes Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah like and yeah i i hate the use of the word comfortable because i feel like it's not adequate but i also don't know of another way to like phrase that it like reinforces her idea of herself yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's this craving of the familiar versus the unfamiliar, and it reinforces these notions that she already has of herself. And so, yeah, like, that moment with jury and stuff like that can definitely be an instance of her, like, recreating circumstances that lead to her being punished because that's what she is familiar with and that's what she's used to she's also Mm -hmm. like she's really when she does things to people she tends to play on their weaknesses and their foibles in this sort of almost poetic justice kind of way because and i which i kind of at the time read as a sort of judgment but also in hindsight maybe a little bit more of just a petty like I have no other way to express this frustration and this, these emotions, so I'm going to use my own sense of, like, my own survival senses in an, in an offensive manner. Like, when right. she messes with, like, when she, Seonji moment where she calls him Sansa Senpai, because she knows that is the one thing that worked the best. That is the the root. His pride, his his obsession with being superior, is that so much at the heart of who he is. When she does that to Jury, she knows that Shiori and her whole hang up with Shiori is so central to who she is in this moment. Even when she does it with Naname, like um, she is playing on Naname's sense of self importance by making her ridiculous. Though I will say, mm-hmm. when she messes with Naname, like, she's a lot less, I mean, it's mean, but it's right. less like, she's not trying to destroy Naname. It's more like, she's kind of just having fun. I always got the feeling that even though she was ho- kind of host- antagonistic to Naname, she didn't hate her nearly as much as anybody else. Naname is just way more fun than the others. Yeah. I would I think say that's fair. it's the difference between antagonistic versus hostile. Yeah, like, she's not going to go out of her way to destroy Naname forever. But if 
but it, you know, attack of opportunity. I would like yeah. to take a quick sidebar here to make sure that everyone knows that we are not attempting to victim blame Anthe for any of the things mm-hmm. oh, that no. happens to her or any of no. the situation that she endures. Anthe is just a multifaceted character and that is the angle with which we are going to approach her. But I just, I don't want <clears throat> any of this to be misconstrued as victim blaming or attempting to uh, imply that, I I don't know, that she deserved anything that happened to her. I don't right. think no. that anybody did, but I just want to make sure that like, we are yeah, in like the e- clear here. Even though, <laughs> like, you, you, could, you could say, you could look and see that she sort of, she's quote-unquote baiting jury into this, jury yeah. still chose to slap her. Like, yeah. that's always her it's thing, is that the, she it's may... It's still on the responsibility of the person who is harming her to not do the things that they're doing. Like, even if she is a consenting party as much as she can be to Akio's sexual abuse, like... It is on him as a goddamn 30 year old or however old Akio technically is to not sexually abuse his sister. Mm-hmm, and yeah. he he is fully aware of what he is doing and the fact that he probably shouldn't be doing it. Like, I feel like that's pretty uncontested is that Akio knows that he is doing a thing that he probably should not be doing. And he continues to do it anyway because he's the master of his own little universe or whatever. When right. Anthony calls but, out the malice of other people or like the things that are failure, their failures, she didn't invent those things. They were there already. That mm-hmm. actually like truly like. So I'm gonna be <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Um, some confessions. One another reason that I like Anthony is that a lot of her flaws are. Um, my flaws, I too trapped teenagers in a crazy purgatory high school. Um, <laughs> but, um, Same. Right. So what I've real Hashtag relatable. Yeah, exactly. What I've recently realized about myself is that um, I have a tendency to be very overly critical of things. And I can kind of always find fault with something. I'm, I'm a hater. I'll just say it like that. I'm a hater. And Anthony kind of low-key hates everything in my opinion, and so when I look at that, I'm like, that's relatable, and when she interacts with these other people, one, she thinks, like, I am garbage, but all of you are also garbage, and when I can get you to act in a way that proves you're garbage, she gets some satisfaction. So she looks at um, Jury, mm-hmm. and she's like, you're garbage, you can't control your emotions, and I'm going to do something to prove that, and because I've proved that you are garbage, um, I'm getting satisfaction out of it. Anthe One. feels like she, or it, it seems like Anthe sort of gets this satisfaction out of, it's like, yeah, everyone else around me is garbage, and I'm recognizing that they're garbage, but I know that I'm garbage, so that makes yeah. me better than them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's very but much Alan, on. what were you going to say? Oh, yeah. One, there there was a moment. It was an after credit sequence. I was watching them on YouTube. First of all, huge props for that company just putting oh, all of yeah. Utena on YouTube. Nozomi you. Entertainment, shout Nizomi out. Nozomi Entertainment, you are great. But there are our uh, after credit scenes. In one of the later ones, Anthe 
clearly says, and I don't think she ever actually says it in the series, didn't you know I always despised you? Oh. And it was directed at Utna in the uh, post-credit sequence, essentially. It's after the revelation about her and Akia sleeping together and Utna finding out and uh, Nanami basically being like, you dumb bitch. Right. We knew this. Like, where have you been? Mm-hmm. Um, My heart. But, but yeah, just the way the voice actress said the line, I broke. And I was just like, no, you can hate everything. You cannot hate Utena. You can't. And, I, and then luckily she didn't. She, but oh my god. She, she does, does a little bit. She does on a Utena certain level. A little bit. But I think that she realizes that maybe she doesn't totally despise Utena in the way that maybe she thought she did previously. I think Because that's more... a very complicated... Area. Oh, very much so. I think it's more that she's threatened by Utena, so that's kind of why she hates her, because, like, well, it's, I don't know if I want to say she hates her. She has anger and negative feelings towards Utena because Utena threatens her system that she is in, even though it's threatening, like, even though she's, she threatens to change the system that Anthe is currently in, and even though she's changing it for the better, that upsetting because she's been doing this thing with Akio forever and just the idea of change can be scary and I think she's also angry because it's I mean actually like I just recently watched um the dub and she said something along the lines of after she stabs Utena um you gave me a little taste of hope and I think that thing of like daring to give her some hope that her situation can change when she's so um, invested in that it's going to be this way forever, that this is her life. It's, and this just may be yeah. the romantic in me. Yeah. But I also think that she may hate Utena slightly for making her fall in love oh, with her. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm gonna from Anthe's perspective. I'm going to definitely subscribe to that view of this situation because of who I am as a person. Utena <laughs> threatens the narrative, the myth. That is the, status the whole system mm-hmm. and Akio himself, but not but, which is enough for Anthe to feel friend and to and, and, and hostile, but on top of that, she gives Anthe some hope of a different and better myth of a better story, and then is not perfect because Utena is still stuck to some degree in the story in which she lives. She right. can't completely be different because you know she's human she's not perfect it's it's kind of dumb sometimes and by both daring to question it and calling it into question and failing to destroy it in one fell fell swoop she's kind of it's it's the most cruel thing imaginable from Anthony's perspective you came Mm -hmm. in and messed everything up and then you couldn't finish the job because not only did you I can't go back because you you broke it but I can't go forward because you haven't struck the final blow and you let yourself be pulled in in the, at the la, at the, at the night, the sort of 11th hour. And there's a part of me that doesn't blame her at that moment. when she's always despised you because from her perspective, all the hope that Utsun has given her in bits and pieces has continuously sort of been, crushed sometimes by Utena herself and not intentionally because Utena doesn't mm-hmm. know Utena doesn't understand and it's always her sort of her 
her weakness and her failing is that she doesn't have all the pieces and yet runs out, which on one level is admirable, but on the other, but on another level is God damn it. Uthana. Well, it's very princely. It is the fairy tale prince of I'm going to go slay this dragon. I don't need more details than there is a dragon who needs to be slain. Utena rushes I don't in. care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anthe isn't the only one that has a myth that keeps her in a safe, well, coffin. I was about to say, and there is a very, very specific reason why they use the imagery of coffins. And I loved it. It's a dead story. It never right. changes. It doesn't move. It is a singular set. It's not a person cannot be either of what they imagine because what they imagine is smaller than a person. It's meant mm-hmm. for dead things that do not move. It's the rat's alley where we rock your bones. It's you can't leave. You have to leave the coffin to be alive. Living things don't stay there. The co- you can't live inside of the story. The story is a nice thing to grasp on, but when you be, try to become the story, it's smaller. Something that I just realized with the coffins, because I know, like, in the manga, they're all, like, crystal coffins, is I wonder if that's a reference to Snow White, because it's, like, it's this, everybody's obsessed with this, like, perfect, beautiful idea that they have, but it's stagnant and it doesn't go anywhere, and with Snow White, it's very much, she's dead, she's not going, she's, like, stuck there, but she's staying in this perfect, preserved state in the coffin, and I wonder yeah. if it's, like, 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 idea, it's, the princes and princesses are ideas, and like ideas, they become mm-hmm. stagnant. They're nice there's to a, look at. Once, yeah, there's a sleeping beauty. And once they grow... Go ahead, Alice. Oh, I was saying, yeah, there is kind of a sleeping beauty, Snow White, lying in repose thing there. Yeah. But once they actualize, mm-hmm. they wake up. Mm-hmm. They get out of the coffin. Whether you want to view that as self-acceptance, whether you want to view that as literally growing up, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of the research that I did... And a lot of my own feelings pointed to this is, you know, a story there's, I mean, the movie is called The Adolescence of Utna. It's, it is the movement from childhood imaginings to being an adult and being in the quote unquote real world. Um, But yeah, it's very interesting that they use that particular motif. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do see that as, you know, once they actualize, that's why. In my opinion, that's why in the end of the series, Utna isn't there anymore. Yeah. Because she actualized. She realized who she was and she got out. And because I, I view, um, and I think I actually said like a little bit on my last um, um, time I guest starred or showed up, uh, I view Otori as kind of like the uncomfortable mindset of puberty because you're in between being a child and an adult. And it was a thing of, like, all of these characters have, I guess not things that are keeping them as children, but are keeping have things that are keeping them from developing on and growing as people, where Utena is one. It's an arrested development. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Where Utena moves on and moves past that, and now is no longer in that area. Um, oh, and what was I going to say? Oh. Just something that I realized with uh, Anthe, um, too, to kind of talk about how you said like she disassociates a lot, is that as I was watching, she, like, pretty much every episode, every um, duel, she's just standing there, and I kind of view it as she's, like, just there dis- disassociating, but she becomes more and more involved in um, 
more and more involved in the duels, more and more involved in the world. And I think that's what mm-hmm. Putin is doing. And it becomes an issue of then, then when she stumbles up the end, that's such a big betrayal because Anthe was fine when she couldn't feel anything, but Uchina is making her get involved. As I've said several times when people, to other people, how fucking dare you make me have feelings about things? Right. <laughs> and that's how she views it. Oh, definitely. Well, and, and I think that's what gives her the power to, at the end of the series, go up to Akio and be like, deuces, I'm yeah. going to find Utna. I am actionalizing, and I'm going to go be with my girlfriend. Bye. Right. It's very much, um, the revolution was, among other people, it was Anthe, her realization. The revolutions were realizations that the characters had, and it was a thing of, Utna can start the revolution, but she can't. She, she can't run the whole revolution. It's like uh, Alice and I always say, the real revolution was the friends we made along the way. Oh, exactly, yes. Except well, the other thing... The other thing I like about that interpretation is revolution could also be more literal, that this is cyclical. Like Alice was saying earlier, mm-hmm. in each telling of the story is a revolution. It's a revolving cycle. It's the turning of a wheel. Mm-hmm. But this time, the wheel was broken. So the revolution, the end of the world, the end of the revolution has come because it can't turn again. Right. And it's interesting reading all, like, going through all the different versions as, like, in short order, because it does very much read to me, like, these are retellings of a fairy tale as it gets passed around, so some details get changed around, and it's kind of like that, like, every time you tell a fairy tale, or, like, every time you tell, like, a word-of-mouth oral history story, it gets slightly altered, and it, mm-hmm. it, I kind of view it like they go through these revolutions, and each time they go, they get a little better. Yeah, I feel like that might make an interesting segue into talking about the movie Adolescence oh, yeah. of Utena a little bit because there is an interpretation of the movie that we've talked about briefly, and uh, I think we talked about it in our movie episode. There is an interpretation of the movie that says that the movie is the first time in this version of events that keeps happening over and over again where Anthe is setting the rules or, like, steering the ship, so to speak. Are we talking time loops? Are we finally doing the time loops? Yeah, technically we are talking time loops. And the movie is the time loop in which Anthe sort of gets to dictate the way things go in a way, and I was wondering what you guys think about that interpretation of the movie in the context of Anthe as a character. Oh, I love it. Oh. I, I, I really like it, because movie Anthe, um, before we started recording, Sam, or no, it may have been when we were recording, you mentioned that you compared her to, like, Jean Grey. Yeah. All this power, but kind of restrained by, quote-unquote, and literally, the man, and this in movie, Anthe is like, no, fuck that. I'm going to turn my girlfriend into a car and I'm getting away from you. Mm-hmm. You know, Utena, whether she was literally or figuratively a car, you know, she was the vessel for Anthe to use in order to escape. Now, 
I like the interpretation of that too can be done in many ways because the word use has some <laughs> troubling implications. Mm -hmm. I like to But say, I think oh, Anthony go ahead. I like to say that Uchna was the vehicle that allowed Anthony to escape her situation. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of view it as like, oh, Anthony or Utna helped her, but I like to say specifically she was the vehicle because that's that's punny and vague enough for interpretation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and also yeah. like the movie gives Anthony a lot more agency than oh, the yeah. series does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The dance in the rose garden. Oh, oh yeah. my heart. Mm -hmm. But I forget who. So good. It was Anthe who um, got the axe and broke the water, wasn't it? Or broke the pipe? Yep, and oh. it looked like she was about to take it to Utna's head. Right. Mm -hmm. oh, so it is very. I definitely have to rewatch them. I do think. Um, I know uh, somewhere it was either on the Discord or in an earlier episode, Alice, you had said like that you think that there's kind of an order that these occur in and I kind of feel like there is like a perfect order that if you watched you would see these characters transition from one thing to another through all the medium <laughs> although this this is getting off topic but, and I'm hoping that uh y'all can help me oh yeah Toka's dead in that movie isn't yes he? yeah for sure so where does this fall in the timeline because supposedly he died rescuing the girl before they ever started at a tour. Okay, can I talk well, about it? I can talk about oh, it. Yeah, I yeah. Talk about it. Well, Please, Alice, I, I want you to explain this. I was going to say real quick, they do mention the anecdote of the idea of Jury having known someone who died rescuing a young girl, like, and he drowned while he was rescuing this girl from drowning. But that mm -hmm. comes up only very briefly at the end of the series. But I, too, am very interested to hear what Alice has to say about this. <clears throat> I think, so, here's the thing. I'm not, like, married to the idea of the time lapse. I love the idea because, well, honestly, it's an Oregon thing, origin thing, like, I love it. I believe it because it's ridiculous. I love it because it's ludicrous. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So the way I see the order briefly is the series, the manga, and then the movie. The reason I say that is because if you trace individual characters between those three, you get a sort of, how should I put this? Everyone grows exponentially between those. You get, Toga is my prime example. Toga in the series is an irredeemable bastard until mm -hmm. he has this weird heel turn, right? But it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's not actually as weird as it seems. It's always been there. The reason he's so attracted to Utsuna, like genuinely drawn to her, is partially because he finds her beautiful and also because the fact that no one else can get her, etc., blah, 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 gross. But it's also because Utsuna is what he would have liked to be. What was taken from him when he was himself mm -hmm. abused as a, as a kid? Remember the reason why he was abused? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That he put himself in front of? At least that is how it has been interpreted both by himself and others. Mm -hmm. That he, in trying to be Utna, he became Toka. Mm -hmm. Right. And you get that sort of like when he realizes that he has perpetuated this and again, that he has made Utsuna into 
on to put her on a path to become like him. That is when he snaps, and that is when his heel turn comes. You get that well, reverse heel turn. You get that in the in the in the manga. You get the sense that first off, he's a lot better person in the manga. Like it's loads. He's actually he's kind of a bastard, but he's a mm. bastard with good qualities. Like he's a he, bastard you that see, you can definitely see him be a decent. Person. You can see Toga's heart a little more in the manga than you can in the series. Yeah, like he, he his mm-hmm. attraction to and his draw being drawn to Utena is g- genuine more of the series than it is in the show. Like it's it's shown as being more actual like genuine and not like just him being a creep earlier in the manga and part of that has to do with saito's manga being Mm. saito's manga interpretation of toga being a little more close to this actual idea of a prince because she had to stick a little closer to shoujo conventions due to oversight from editors and whatnot yeah and i I'll already really admit that like some of this is a little bit like to for this to work there has to be a degree of death of the author because saito in the reality mm-hmm. saito did have was kind of constrained by a lot of things we talked about that at length mm-hmm. about how saito had to sort of bend to convention but if um, any series encourages death of the author it's this one right yeah yeah but like Let me, oh, oh um, but Go ahead, sir. Like in the manga, not only is he better, but there's also he's he has he's weirdly aware of exactly what is going to happen next. We actually get a like parting the kimono a bit, and um, when Mickey and Utsuna basically break into his house, um, mm-hmm. and they find the board showing who's going next, it's his almost Pepe as if Sylvia board. <laughs> yeah, like that's actually where I got the, the idea because that's when I sort of realized the sort of thing seeing a time loop thing. He seems more aware as he gets better. And then we have the third one where he's dead. Why is he dead? Well, hold on. A, a bit of context, because I know Alan hasn't read the manga. Oh, yeah. Um, in Toga's house, there is a... He has this, like, secret room where he has, like, this board that is mapped out, like, all of the duels and, like, when they're going to happen and whatnot. So that's what Alice... That's crazy and awesome. It's right? very strange, and I do recommend reading the manga because it is such an interesting take on the same essential story that the series does but that is what alice is referring to when she talks about them breaking into toga's mm-hmm. house and seeing because mickey and utana break in and essentially see this board of like mapping out all the duels and whatnot but he's also even as he understand like but when he does that he does it as an outsider in the show he is totally on the inside of of Akio's thing. In yeah. the manga, he's half and half. He doesn't know everything. And that's why he's trying to figure it out. He is predicting. Mm-hmm. In the movie, he's dead. Why is he dead? Mm-hmm. Because he died being what he wanted to be. The re- like Toga being what he wanted to be would have died saving that girl. Who happens, I think, is actually kind of basically implied to have been Ethan herself. Um, I think it's yeah, a jury. little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, oh, was Utena, yeah. And, like, which is not just a, like, pulling him into the story more, but actually just, like, that's who he wanted to be. As the as the loops progress, in a weird way, by dying, Toga becomes everything he wanted to be. He died virtuously, mm-hmm. but he also lived virtuously. The only reason he died was because he was doing, he was the kind of person he wanted to be. 
And like, as as you progress through those loops, you can kind of see everyone become more what they want to be. Utsuna is really like, I mean, Utsuna's whole thing is being the prince, and she likes to she she is very assistant that she is a woman, but she likes to sort of code herself masculine in certain ways. The most masculine she gets is definitely the actual like the movie where she's oh, got the short for hair. sure. Like yeah. Anthe wants to be And I love in the duels that it grows out. Yeah. Anthe wants to be free and Anthe wants to have that sort of control even if she is wants it even if she kind of is able to sublimate that desire to a great extent. And the movie is the one where she's the least in control of, under the control of Akio. Like it does not take a lot to pull her out. I have kind of an alternate take to that, but if because we're kind of on a tangent, if you want me to save it for some other time, I can do that. Um. Well, to bring it back around yeah. to Anthe, the reason I bring it up is um, one of the things, again, that I talked to Panda about was there was this wonderful essay that compared Toga and Anthe. The body mm. is a bargaining chip, which I also bar- recommend yeah, the, everyone read. It's also The good. body is a bargaining oh, chip. Okay, and it was that fascinating because there there are so many similarities but you can also see the points where the paths diverged and it turned toga into more of an unrepented ass and anthony or anthe into more of a subtle manipulator Mm -hmm. yeah because anthe and toga are not characters that you would probably initially think of as being incredibly similar but if you read the body as a bargaining chip it really does a good job of illuminating the ways in which anthe and toga are sort of two sides of the same coin they're both taking similar actions to try and affect similar outcomes but like Whereas Toga is, like, weaponized masculinity, Anthe is weaponized femininity, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just, it's great. It's written by uh, our good friend, Yasha, of Empty Movement. It, it's very good. You can find it on Tumblr, and I highly recommend everybody read it, because it's also essential reading for understanding it's Anthe so as a good. character. I'll definitely have to read it. I have it on my phone right now. Um. <laughs> I forgot where we were. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can. You had um, you had a bit of a you had a thing that you wanted to go on about oh. Anthe Sam. Oh, is this the part where I call out Geo? Sure, go for okay, it. Okay, yeah, Geo, I'm calling you out. Um, so, uh, um, something. Our good I, pal <laughs> Giovanna. Yeah, good uh, Giovanna of Empty Movement. Um, how I I kind of put an interpretation of how the whole world works and be, that puts heavy roles on Akio and Anthe. And so a question that I had for Geo that I don't, yeah, that was not answered in the Q and a. Um, so I'm going to answer. The Q and a was admittedly a bit chaotic. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Um, so the question that I had that was not answered. So I'm going to answer it myself is who is more powerful. And I'm putting out powerful in quotes. Um, Akio or Anthe, and how I view this is Anthe without a, yeah, Anthe is more powerful, but Akio directs the power, and how I view it is that, um, basically how I view the relationship as I try to interpret what happened between them and how they got from 
how we got from Dios to Akio and Anthe as the witch to Anthe as the Rose Bride is I kind of view it as a long ago in a land far, far away, Akio or Dios either was a jerk, but he was a little kid jerk, or he was a prince. And Anthe turned him into a prince. So Anthe either like enhanced him as a prince or turned him into the prince. Because I know in the movie, which I kind of view like it all is very near the canon, the movie says she turned her brother into the prince, but the prince is really Lord of the Flies. So I view it it's as worth a thing. noting that Geo yeah. is not a huge fan of the movie. <laughs> oh, okay. But regardless. Right. So I view it as is that um he either she either like helped him become a prince or made him a prince outright. Something like that, because her role was the witch. So she has by being a witch she has access to power in a weird way, but she can unfortunately being a witch she can only use her power to hurt. And because either viewing her because she can only either putting the blame on her because of using her witch power or putting the blame on Dios for just having like an addictive personality, him being the prince was really self destructive on him because he was literally he was literally wearing himself to death trying to rescue all the princesses. And in order to save him, she stopped him from being a prince. She like turned him she she turned him into a prince but then she turned him out of one. And I think that is a big thing that he holds over her because he always kind of says like, when will you stop tormenting me? Why do you do this to me? And I think it is very much a thing of at that point is when he started becoming an abuser because he said like you did because he has this view of you did this to me. You I was this great, wonderful thing and you did and you made me horrible. Well, there is definitely the ex like if not just the implication, the explicit uh saying that Anthe was responsible for Dios not being Dios anymore and whether or not that's being told through the lens of Akio and the fairy tale or not like right is up for interpretation but like it's not really clear where Dios's power come from it comes from right. and Ultimately, I don't think the series is very concerned with where Anthe and Dios' power comes from. Because Mm -hmm. it's not really, like... It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things where their power comes from. It just matters that they have it and that they use it. Right. I also think that it's interesting, the verbiage that's used. And one thing that I love, 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 love about this show and the movie... The use of language is extremely specific. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is very evocative, but it's very specific. When they talk about Anthe and Dios, Anthe pretty much, quote, sealed away Dios. Mm-hmm. There are lots of different interpretations for that, but I love to go back to the coffin. She basically put Dios into that coffin, whether it was she magically changed him she manipulated him into that not being himself anymore um what have you 
This part, I do tend to lean more to the magic simply because the sword thing becomes very, very literal, very, very quickly, or at least literal within the logic of the show, mm -hmm. which could also mean not literal at all. So in the manga, and this doesn't necessarily have any bearing on the show, but in the manga, they do try to kind of explain the sword thing and the way that they put it is they basically say that Anthe sealed away the last of Dio's goodness into the sword. And I guess that kind of makes it like kind of like a horcrux for all our Harry mm -hmm. Potter peeps out there. Mm -hmm. That's a cultural touchstone that you can understand. But that's... Uh, that's sort of what the sword becomes is like, it's that last bit of Dios's goodness that she sealed within herself. And that doesn't necessarily follow through to the series, but I think is an interesting way of trying to explain that aspect of the series mm -hmm. because there isn't really much because at the heart of Utena, the series is the character relationships and how the characters relate to one another. So the series doesn't really concern itself with how the magic happens and what causes what and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, at least with Utena and Anthe, it is literally the power of love. Yes. Yeah. And actually that's an interesting segue that I want to put in because um, I had said like at the beginning of the podcast, Utena is a great, or not Utena, Anthe is a great character that I can put all of my, um, for lack of a term, like non-charismatic, well-known queer identity stuff. Because when I look at her, I kind of view her as like, I don't view her as bisexual or a lesbian or like any of the big LGBT views. I kind of view her as like some form of asexual. And it's okay. interesting to see because like, I don't know, I just kind of view it as like, she's someone who for lack of a better term, it's over it. So when it when it's um her relationship is forming with Utena, it is and not to say like um I'm I'm ace, so it's I'm I'm speaking from like a bias, but um their relationship is kind of formed truly around like the person. So she falls in love with the she she falls in love with Utena, and there's not really a sexual component. Not to say that Anthe can't be a sexual person or can't be, um, or like doesn't have sexuality, but I kind of view her as someone who would be a person who's like, like, like an asexual that who can have sex because they enjoy it, but it's not because they're like sexually attracted to this person. Right. So, kind of like asexual panromantic. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I view her as. Um, well, and I just, it's not yeah. entirely uncommon for people who have been through sexual abuse or sexually yeah. abusive situations to come out of that with like a detachment from their sexuality. And that can, some people interpret these feelings through the lens of asexuality and like, that's totally valid. So mm -hmm. I could definitely see how Anthe could come out of everything that has happened to her with that 
with those feelings towards that sort of idea because we definitely don't see any like she definitely has these feelings about Utena and we could you know talk all day about the specifics of those feelings and like the different interpretations of those feelings but like I think that viewing her through this lens of being someone who is potentially someone that considers herself asexual and developing these feelings towards Utena, I, I can definitely see that as an interpretation mm-hmm. of Anthe's character. And I feel like that, I feel like that falls in line with a lot of uh, ways that people feel about Anthe. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to... <laughs> I had a thought and I lost it. Anybody else have a thought? Mostly I do I do appreciate you bringing up um, you know victims of sexual assault and sexual violence because that is that is something that I think as odd as this sounds I feel like it's easy to overlook that mm-hmm. in the anime because most of the characters immediately jump to oh you had a hand in this. Oh it was consensual. You know even if it was not um and and that also goes back to a little bit of the magic of anthe i am quite certain you know it's never explicitly stated in the text but i am quite certain that there is a level of control when she says i must do what you tell me that tells me that toga seonji whoever has said you gotta have sex with me Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. that happened and in the movie it is pretty explicitly spelled mm-hmm. out that that is what the rose bride does with the engaged yes right. and actually um that actually reminded me of how i view um anthe and this is actually this fits nicely into like anthe as a humanoid abomination view because i think one of the reasons that she is so Okay is not the right word. I guess complicit or like complicit is not the right word. But like she's she'll let people do these things to her body is because I kind of view it as this isn't really her. Like I view the real Auntie is in the coffin, and then everything right. else we see, everything we see on campus is kind of just like a projection. Is like again like like again one of one of the common things that a victim of abuse will have is some sort of dissociation. Um, multiple personalities, which I think is kind of mostly discredited now, but it was a view for, viewed as a form of disassociation, and it was often heard, it was often um, linked with trauma in childhood, like a prolonged mm-hmm. trauma. So I kind of view it as like all these aunties, like this auntie that we see on campus isn't really her. She's really far away. So she's kind of... I mean, she's re- she's repressed herself. Right. She's, rep- she's put herself in that coffin. Right. And, and that's how she stays safe. Right. And because it's magic, now that's manifesting as her real, like, her soul is in this coffin, and then this puppet that she operates around the campus is doing stuff, and that's one of the reasons why you why she, like, teleports every once in a while, because she's not really mm-hmm. there, I feel. Yeah, and that's sort of, that's also brought up in The Body is a Bargaining Chip that we mentioned earlier, is this idea that, like, well, the body that I have is not me. I am me. And so what happens to this body doesn't necessarily impact who I am. It's Mm -hmm. just 
what I have and what I can use in this situation. And that's something that like Anthe and Toga also kind of have in common because Toga uses himself in that way as well. Like there's clearly the implication that he and Akio are also like sexually involved in the series, as I so eloquently put it Mm -hmm. while we were watching the show, they fucking, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that like, it's this idea that like, it's this distance between the idea of your inner self, who is you and the outer self, which is your body, which other people can use and do things to, but ultimately, if you have power over the internal you, yourself, then that doesn't matter. What people do mm-hmm. to the outer shell doesn't matter because that doesn't affect you. And that's where Andy right. seems to be coming from a lot of the time, especially in the series. Yeah. So does anyone have any th- like burning thoughts that need to be released right now or you'll die? Um. I have something in my pocket that I recently remembered and I'm saving, um, and it has sure. to do with anime. So, I was I recently watched the uh, egg episode, and that's actually when I posted on the Discord. Anime is a weirdo who keeps an egg in her pocket. Um, <laughs> I was watching it, and it's funny because, um, like, this is again Anthe kind of being petty for pleasure. She's not like doing it. I get like how um, you had said like she's just doing it because it's funny, not because she hates anime. And I think it is very much like in hearing your interpretation, I think it is very much of she's just the funniest to fuck with. And I kind of view with that egg, like I know some people ask like, who, where did that egg actually come from? That's, and I'm just doing it like it's really simple. There was no magic involved. Anthe just took the egg from her chicken, hollowed it out, bedazzled it, and put it in, um, teleported it and put it in anime's bed. Bad, and Nikki but, just doesn't know. And we can't. We also can't forget that the hen's name, I believe, was not. Yeah. How do we account for the fact that Choo Choo hatches from the egg at the end of the episode? Wait, did Choo Choo hatch from it? I thought the egg was. He empty. does. Mm-hmm. Oh. Choo Choo hatches from the egg at the end of the episode. I'm gonna say she teleports it. In. I'm convinced it's a chicken egg, and Mickey just doesn't know anything about birds because I know he says it can't <laughs> be a bird egg. <laughs> That is my kid. Well, because I like I know in the previous episode, I think it was the Shiori episode, and he's like, "What do birds eat?" And she's like, "Feed them brown, ground millet." So I'm using that like I'm snatching at that thread to be like, Mickey doesn't know anything about birds, and this is my evidence. I would be willing to believe that Mickey doesn't know anything about birds. It's like he's Same. literally that meme that uh, that still from. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Is, oh is boy, somebody story? draw that for me, please. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> my my only closing thought is um protect Anthe Hemania two K forever. Right. Even though she can protect herself, which I, I I think the most beautiful part about Anthe is that slow build to self actualization mm-hmm. and watching her gain hope. Yeah. Even though she curses Utna for it. It's so important, not just to her character, but in life, period. You see the cost of having no hope, and that's Anthe as the doll in episodes one, two, like the early stuff. Mm -hmm. But with hope, she becomes more self-actualized. And I think it's a really powerful statement to make with a character that also um, 
uses her femininity in a way that's not like nobody looks at her and is like, oh my God, you're a slut. You know, in fact, it's the opposite. She's so demure and everything until, well, all the stuff with Akio and. Have I mentioned I don't like Akio? Like, I hate him Mm -hmm. a lot. Akio is worst boy. It's Mm -hmm. canon. I guess I would say my final thought. I'm sure I'm going to have like another thought as soon as we end, but my final thought is just Anthe is interesting as. She's interesting as an example that we see in a lot of other women in media as a woman who had, who is quote too powerful, but is not allowed to have any agency. So she has absolute power, but no agency and seeing how she has to like, like interpreting like how she got to the situation and seeing how she Mm -hmm. is reacting to the situation and gets out of the situation. And I guess it's also interesting to say, um, I guess I, might, I would say, like, Anthe is not a victim. Anthe is a person living in an abusive situation. And the story on her and her arc is not about being an abuse victim. It's about how she gets out of this abusive situation. Mm-hmm. Anthe's story is one of survival and uh, yes. revolution. Yes. Yep. All right. I think that that is unless we have anything else that we want to say before we close out, I think that that, uh, I think that that's a good place for us to end on this lovely discussion of a, an incredible and multifaceted character that I don't think can be summed up in an hour and a half of conversation, but Mm -hmm. we will hopefully get to do that a little more succinctly in the next episode where Geo helps us chronicle the history of fandom opinion on Anthe. I don't know if that'll technically be the next episode that comes out, but it'll be the next Anthe focused episode. It will definitely mm-hmm. be a thing that's happening at this thing. It will be a thing episode. that we do at some point. I have a final note because um, I know I had a final note in the last uh, one. I will modify yeah. my final note. Anthe may have done some bad things. But she's never done anything wrong in her entire life. Can you surely <laughs> look at what she's done and say she was wrong? She's literally the character from if you'd the original Gundam. If you'd have been there, right. if you'd have seen it, right. surely you would have done the same. Yes, he had it coming. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at Utsunacast. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. Alice, where can they follow you on Twitter? They can find me at Lyrewolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. And Alan, I know you do lots of things around the web. Where is the best place that people can find information on the things that you do? Uh, easiest way is to find me on Twitter at Alan underscore cells. Um, I do a lot of different things. I'm on the Cool Kids Table, Pokemon World Tour United, the Lost Library. Um, so just come there. I've got a links to everything in my in my profile. So come check me out. And Sam, if you so wish to be found, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Runicorn Spirit, and you spell that like rune corn and then spirit it will look like run a corn but that's incorrect um <laughs> and like using audacity for the first time i've recently tried using twitter for the first time and watching buffy for the first time so i'm trying to combine those and i'm live tweeting my thoughts about buffy when i watch the episode 
I'm oh currently God, in season. Buffy. Yeah, I'm currently in season four because I started Angel as well. So this is the only thing that I've been doing on Twitter and in my television life until I started watching Uchina again. It's so good. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. We are a Patreon-supported podcast. If you would like to support us there, you can find the link to that pretty much anywhere you can find us on the internet. And regardless of that, the show will always be free to listen to and to download. If you would like to come on the show or give us your thoughts about a previous episode, you can contact us on Twitter, or you can do that at our Gmail, which is imagineandutina at gmail.com. And you can also uh, send us a message on Tumblr, which is imagineandutina.tumblr.com, where I mostly reblog Utina gifts and fan art. And I think that that's all of the things that we say at the end of the episode. <laughs> so, revolutionize the world, everybody. Revolutionize remember. the world. And remember, Char Aznable did nothing wrong.